Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with uh, Karen Brinson-Bale, Executive Director of the North Carolina State Board of Elections. As we said earlier, uh, election season is right around the corner, and uh, uh, things will really begin uh, getting hot and heavy when we get to the primary season. Exactly when is our first our primary in North Carolina? We are a Super Tuesday primary state, so we will be the first Tuesday in March will be our, our primary for the, for 2024. That's the earliest it's been in a long time. Is that correct? Our first time being a Super Tuesday state was yeah. in 2020. Okay. So um, I've, I've not had a, a, well, I've had a challenging time as executive director. <laughs> a lot of new things have been put in place, but they've gone well. Well, North Carolina is like a lot of states. Uh, when you register, you have uh, several choices, but you can register as a member of a political party, or you can register as an unaffiliate. And unaffiliated roles keep rising and have gotten to be a very significant number. Exactly where does that stand now? Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but you know we have more uh, unaffiliated voters than we do Democrats or Republicans, um, which is a, a dramatic change. Um, now, I can also say that when I was Transylvania County's election director, we were one of the first counties to have that uh, shift in unaffiliated voters as well. So um, this and that was in the I believe that was around 2012 or 13. So this has been a growing trend in North Carolina. And it's largely because what that means is someone's not affiliated with the party. But when they go to vote in a primary, they are asked which party's ballot would they like to vote. And so they can participate in a political party primary, which is the nominating process. It's not the election. It's the nominating process. And they can uh, they don't affiliate with that party by picking that ballot, but they do get to participate in a primary that way. They only get to choose one. Um, so they're not going to get both the Democrat and the Republican, for example, but they can choose uh, one party's primary ballot to vote without affiliating. And then, of course, in the general election, everyone gets the, the ballot that's specific to their jurisdiction, and they will choose between the various party nominees um, who are representing their party on the general ballot. Now, if you choose, let's say you're unaffiliated and you go to the polls this year, and uh, uh, in the primary, and you elect to be, say, a Democrat, that doesn't mean that the next time there's an election, you can't choose to be a Republican. That's right. Yeah. they When they go and they select a party's ballot, they are not affiliating with the party. They're just choosing to participate in their primary. And the only time that that holds is, let's say, a voter goes in and chooses to participate in the Republican primary next March, and we wind up with a runoff. Um, then if they want to participate in the runoff, they can still only have the Republican ballot. Uh, they, If the Democrats were to have a runoff, they wouldn't be able to switch if they had chosen to participate in the Republican primary. Um, that's the only time that, that it holds. They're, and they're still not affiliating with the party. It's just you know them expressing that they are continuing to participate in the primary process because that's what a runoff represents is someone didn't get enough votes to be considered the nominee. And now we're down to two candidates and which one of those two candidates will be the nominee. A lot of nuance there, but hopefully I made that made sense. You mentioned earlier that uh, because of early voting, the precinct workers now are working a little bit longer 
than just election day. Uh, are you having any difficulty uh, finding enough officials and election workers uh, across the state? You know, in 2020, because of the pandemic, we were very worried as to whether our you know tried and true election workers would be able to turn out because many of our I'd actually say most of our election workers are retired. Uh, they were considered to be in the vulnerable age population to the pandemic. And so at that point in time, many felt like they couldn't serve. And so we launched what we called the Democracy Heroes campaign. It has since gotten a national award and a lot of recognition because we had tremendous response to that campaign where people of all age uh, decided that they wanted to participate in our process and serve as a, a, a poll worker or a precinct official. Um, and so we now have what's a really good pool of people, uh, but we are always in need. And as we have new initiatives like photo ID, um, some of the other things that may come out of legislation from the current General Assembly, um, you know, we we find that we have a, a very strong need for workers. Uh, we go through a process where the political parties put forward names. We just did that a few weeks ago, but they aren't always able to find people. So, you know, if you're interested, please, you know, go on our, our website, ncsbe.gov click on Democracy Heroes, and we will send your information to the county where you're a resident. And, you know, they may be able to, um, you know, have you serve. You know, Election Day is a very long day. Uh, it's, you know, we open the polls at 6.30 a.m. So our workers show up around 5.30 a.m. typically, maybe even five o'clock. And then they work the entire day until 7.30 p.m. when the polls close. And then we have to break down those sites and get the materials, the necessary materials back to the county boards of elections. So it's, you know, 16, 17, 18 hour days, depending on what your role is. But it is so rewarding. Um, the, the folks who work the early voting period, that 17 day period prior to election day, we often can assign them in shifts where they don't work every day. They might even be hired through a temporary agency um, because of you know, the number of hours and, and it usually means taxes have to be taken out and that kind of thing. In both respects, they do get paid. I won't say it's great pay, um, but you know that's not usually the motivation for people. They usually want to be a part of the process. And it is so rewarding um, to watch someone cast their ballot you know, for the first time, or maybe they're 100 plus years old and they're just there still wanting to make sure that they have their voice heard. And it's it, that part is what I find so rewarding. And I hear wonderful stories from our workers who typically return time and time again. But, you know, they can't do it forever. And so we are always looking for more people who can help be a part of our democracy. Well, North Carolina's population, of course, has grown so much. Have you increased the number of precincts accordingly, or do we have roughly the same number of precincts we formerly had back, say, uh, 10 years ago? You'd probably be surprised. We actually are finding that some consolidation of precincts. It, it varies depending on the county and what they need to do. The popularity of in-person early voting means that and, you know, we're now voting 60, 65 percent quite often in the even years during that early voting period. And so when the volume, the vast volume of your ballots are being cast, then over a 17 day period, it means that the lines and the number of people showing up to election day polling places is not as great. Um, in some of our rural areas, I face this in Transylvania County. 
the precincts um, have restrictions. You can't be related to each other. You can't be a party official. And some of our precincts are so sparsely populated that we actually had to consolidate some precincts because we couldn't meet the criteria, um, you know, to make sure that people weren't related or weren't, um, you know, a party official who were serving as our workers. So, you know, in, in a lot of our rural counties, we're seeing consolidation in some of our larger counties so that the volume's not too great potentially on election day, they do have some of the splits. So right now, all in all, we're at about 2,500 polling places on election day, which, you know, usually polling places and precincts are one for one. Let me ask you this, because this is, uh, because we have vote counting machines, we actually don't have voting machines, we have vote counting machines. Why is it that some precincts come in late? Uh, in other words, when we're watching the returns on the TV or on the internet or ever how we're getting it or listening to the radio or whatever, why is it that uh, there's always, you know, with 17 of 22 precincts reporting, and there's always one that holds out? What happens there? Well, I can I can probably tell you some comical stories um, <laughs> that in the moment don't seem so comical, but the general answer is, we do not have modems in our voting machines. So those results are not being transmitted over the internet. We the, the judges of election who are you know, bipartisan officials serving at those polling places sign the results tape and they take a flash drive from that machine and physically drive it back to the County Board of Elections. That's easy. You know, if the if the precinct is you know four or five miles down the road from the elections office, but if they're on the outer edges, um, or maybe even Hyde County where you you ferry it across, um, you know, you can well imagine that that's not going to happen quickly. And we have to remember that there, if someone is in line when the polls close, they are going to be allowed to vote. So if you've got 20 people in line and it's 7.30 p.m. and they were all there at the time the poll closed, you've got to still process those 20 people and make sure that they can cast their ballot. So there are circumstances that may slow the closing of a voting location. Um, there also could be an extension because perhaps the polling place didn't open on time um, or maybe there was a disruption like a power outage or um, an accident that blocked access to the building, uh, something along those lines to where voting might be extended for a period of time. Um, so there's there's a lot of circumstances, but even if if no disruption happens, just the sheer transport to an, to the Board of Elections um, can delay it. Now, I'll say some of the comical things, um, it's not so funny in the moment, but when we look back, um, you know, we've had individuals who I can remember um, being in a county board office. It was not Transylvania. It was when I was a district person and I was helping out a county and um, this person didn't show up and he just took everything home. He didn't think he had to bring it back that night. And well, he came with his stuff in his pajamas, escorted by a deputy sheriff, <laughs> because we are that serious about getting those results in on election night. <laughs> I won't tell the county because that might embarrass somebody. <laughs> well, uh, I, there are several questions I could do to follow up on that one, but I'm going to leave them alone. <laughs> um, so, so he came in his pajamas? Yes, <laughs> because we told the deputy sheriff to go get him. <laughs> 
Okay. I suspect he was a little surprised when there was a knock on the door, but uh, a little would, bit. Yeah, <laughs> I guess so. Um, well, that that's interesting, and uh, uh, that explains why very often uh, one or two precincts, but usually those uh, precincts amount to very uh, very small amount, and usually we kind of know the general outcome of the election. And of course, the whole process is uh, so much faster than it was back in the fifties and sixties, because sometimes I know when I was, uh, uh, in, in Laurenburg at, uh, my early days in radio, sometimes we were on the air to 3 AM and 4 AM and with County elections. <laughs> you know, one of my greatest achievements is I keep track of what time we are done reporting. And again, one of my greatest achievements is the fact that on a presidential election year in a pandemic, a hotly contested purple state with a lot of things on the ballot. Uh, in 2020, we had the last results in at 12:28 a.m. on election night, and that's far from your 3 a.m. story. Exactly. Um, so you know, we have come a long way. We've really refined our processes and and our chain of custody procedures to make sure that what we're getting is accurate and secure. Um, you know, having the voting equipment, you know, the security and the accuracy of that tabulation, um, and, and then making sure that it's transported properly back to the Board of Elections. Uh, you know, it's actually a, a pretty efficient process when you consider how, you know, we had over five and a half million, uh, 5.5 million ballots cast in 2020, and we were done at 1228 a.m. That's, that's remarkable. And, uh, of course, without the voting machines, that would have been impossible. Absolutely. And, you know, again, uh, actually, I want to repeat this because this is news to a lot of people. There are not voting machines. There are vote counting machines. Is that the case in every state or is that just North Carolina? Uh, that's an accurate description for North Carolina. Um, there are a few states that still have the touchscreen voting machines. Yeah. I guess is... Uh, Karen Brinson-Bale, and we'll be back with more about the election process in North Carolina right after these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05... I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it. Unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. 
Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, we're discussing elections and the election process because we have a primary election coming up next spring on uh, Super Tuesday. Uh, and uh, we also have, of course, a general election about a year and a month or so away from that uh, that uh, uh, annual election. Um, and uh, so we thought it was timely to bring in Karen Brinson Bell, who is the executive director, to talk about these things. There are two things we want to talk about in this section, uh, and this is our last segment. We want to talk about voter ID because that still has uh, some folks who are, have questions about it. And then we also want to talk about your role in compliance or in campaign financing uh, or campaign re- uh, finance reports and such. But let's start with the voter ID situation and uh, tell us about that and how that works in North Carolina. Certainly. Um, so we are in the process of implementing photo ID. It's actually in use um, as we conduct the Charlotte and, and Sanford uh, municipal elections right now. Uh, we'll have more municipal elections in October and in November. Um, we've got about 475 municipalities that have elections this fall. And so back in April, there was a decision by the state Supreme Court that said we will implement photo ID immediately. That case um, had been hung, had been in various stages of uh, the court system since uh, December 2019 when there was um, an injunction. And so we have been full steam ahead uh, to make sure that when voters show up uh, for these municipal elections in, in 2024, that they will know to present a photo ID. For most, it's going to be a driver's license, but there are other options. There are some student IDs that have been approved. There's a passport that you can provide. Um, you know, just a, a number of options for voters, and they can get that information at ncsbe.gov forward slash voter ID, um, and they can see the entire list of what is approved uh, as a photo ID in North Carolina. But if they don't have ID, then they can get a free ID through the DMV, or they can go to their county board of elections and have an, a voter ID made there in the county elections office um, and you know as part of their voter registration. Uh, so you know there there are several options, and then if that is not possible for a voter, then our law allows for us to have an ID exception form, and this is for someone voting in person or absentee by mail. They can complete the exception form, indicate the reasonable impediment that they may have had, such as transportation. They could have a religious objection of having their photo made. Or, you know, we're in the midst of, of hurricane season. So, you know, if we have a natural disaster, then that's another declared, then that could be and you're in an affected area of that natural disaster, then that could be another reason why you might not have ID to present. Um, so, you know, those are all steps that we're putting into place um, and options for the voter when they go to cast their, their ballot. I think what's just really critically important is that all voters know that they will be able to vote with or without an ID. They just, if they don't have an ID that's accepted, then they may have to complete that exception form, vote a provisional ballot, provide an ID at some other point in time. It sounds like there's a lot of options and uh, one of them should fit everybody. 
that's that is the intent yeah. and that's and that is what you know the lawmakers put into law and so our job is to administer the law as it's written and now that the courts have told us to move forward that's exactly what we're doing um the only hardship that we have in this is that because we don't have a state budget yet we don't have funds to do a big outreach campaign. So I appreciate the opportunity to come on programs like this and talk about it because right now we're reliant upon social media, websites, and you know the, the actual uh, press media to help us get the word out to voters. Let's talk about your role in compliance of campaign finance. What's your responsibility there? Yes, so um, anytime a candidate runs for office, they have to form a campaign finance committee. Um, there are some exceptions of whether they have to file reports or not, depending on the threshold um, of how much they're raising or expending. Um, this, but you know, all in all, every candidate has a campaign finance obligation in North Carolina. Some will file with the County Board of Elections, some file with the State Board of Elections, depending on the office that they hold or are seeking. Uh, similarly, political action committees, political parties, independent expenditure committees, the list is long of these other types of committees that would also have a responsibility to file campaign finance reports. Depending on the type of committee, depending on the type of office, um, their reporting schedule will vary, um, but there are routine reports that must be filed that indicate the contributions that they have received, the expenditures that they have made. Um, they have to have certain information about the individuals that made those contributions or the entity that they are paying. Um, and those are, you know, whoever they file with, they are audited and reviewed. Um, they are made available for public review. And, um, you know, hopefully we have them compliant. There's a treasurer that's named. It could be the candidate or someone that they designate. We conduct treasurer training as part of our responsibilities to make sure that they understand what their role is and how to properly report. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's a large part of our work that is often not realized because in other states, it may not be connected to the elections office. Um, it may be a separate uh, process or a separate entity that that oversees that. But um, that's how it works in North Carolina. And of course, it's complicated by the PACs. Yeah, <laughs> it does get complicated. Um, you know, and sometimes it's by political action committee involvement. Sometimes it's by the sheer volume. I mean, you know, when we think about all the money that's being spent on ads and campaigns and strategies and polling and who knows what else, um, all of that has to be reported to either the state board of elections or the county boards of elections. So when you hear about, you know, tens of millions of dollars being spent on a governor's race, for example, you know, we have staff here and it's a very small staff that's not necessarily grown with the, the volume of candidates or the volume of, of money um, that that's getting audited to make sure that they are in proper compliance and there's no wrongdoing. Um, if there's wrongdoing, we can actually refer that to um, the district attorney or the proper authorities to um, consider prosecution, uh, which we've seen in North Carolina. Uh, it's It's been a little bit, but, you know, hopefully we've, we've developed laws and procedures that are helping people to be compliant instead of wrongdoing. Um, but it's certainly something that we consider. And of course, I will point out that, you know, it's it's pretty much it stays with the state level down offices. Um, you know, federal offices have their own um, commission uh, at the federal level. 
Now, redistricting and new maps also, of course, cause you some concern and some problems. Um, tell, tell me how you handle that. <laughs> so typically we go through redistricting every 10 years, but given the number of lawsuits and, and <laughs> so forth around North Carolina, it, we've definitely redistricted more often than that. Um, and as a matter of fact, a court decision back in April says that we are going to go through redistricting again. The, the same court case, we already knew we would have new congressional districts because that was decided. We got maps for 2020, but it was already said that we would have um, or, or new maps in 2022, but we would have new maps for 2024 for our congressional districts. But the decision in April meant that there's also the opportunity for the legislature to redraw the legislature maps. So the state house and state senate, we anticipate being redrawn this fall. So um, once we have that from the legislature, then we will implement those. Um, it's a, a very methodical and tedious process to make sure that we properly assign candidates and voters to the right voting districts um, and, and, and match all that up. Um, and that becomes really time sensitive because these contests in 2024 that we've been talking about, those folks file in December, starting December the 4th. So um, we need to know where those district lines are so that a candidate can properly file for state house or Senate or Congress. Um, and then we can send out the right information to the voters or they can do their voter search lookup on our state board website to know, you know who they're even eligible to vote for. So what do you do with your spare time? <laughs> uh, my I mean, personal you, you, spare time. You really uh, uh, listed so many things that you're doing. I, I don't know how you get it all done. So uh, we, we really don't stop. Um, I can tell you that because of the Congressional District 9 new election in 2019, to come into that, to come into questions around cybersecurity and so forth. We launched our voter confidence campaign in 2019 around the hashtag your vote counts in C. We launched a social media campaign because we want to be as transparent as we can. We have the most data um, of any state elections office or agency in the country um, that's publicly available. So you can go on our website, ncsbe.gov and get that. So that's been a big initiative. Um, the voter confidence campaign to make sure people understand how elections work in our state and really across the country so that they have confidence in the process. Uh, we did not expect a pandemic. We knew we would have a Super Tuesday and that we would be a very uh, spotlighted state um, because we're the first in the nation to send out absentee ballots. But we have done so many initiatives. I mentioned the portal for our military and overseas citizens, but also that portal is the request mechanism for absentee ballots. Um, we have, uh, we're, we're in the process. We hope to get the funding necessary to upgrade our SEAM system. That was built on a 1998 platform. So that's pretty old. That's prior to smartphones and it's a computer software system. <laughs> so we are in the process of updating that. We have been nationally recognized for our collaborative approach to work with our county boards of elections. We call that hubs. Um, we have developed um, a, a, a strong cybersecurity presence so that we don't get attacked. It's, you know, everyone's probably going to be vulnerable to it, but we have put everything in place that we could to secure ourselves, even though 
we have seen a tremendous uptick in individuals trying to attack our systems, trying to attack our website, um, both domestic and foreign actors. But you know, that's actually part of our work now, too. And then we talked about campaign finance. Um, we wear a multitude of hats, um, not just me, but all these folks that I work with. There's only about 60 employees at the State Board of Elections. And that goes from the developers who are writing that software to the folks who are auditing those campaign finance reports and the people getting out voter registration forms. And then at the county level, they wear a multitude of hats. So, you know, it, I'm very proud of this profession. And I hope that people begin to realize that we definitely work more than two days out of the year. I am very impressed with all the things that you're doing. And I think all of North Carolina, all of North Carolina should be very proud of the fact that uh, not only does the state board, but the 100 local boards uh, work so well together and uh, conduct these elections in a way that uh, make us feel safe, secure, and uh, it would appear uh, as uh, uh, accurate as, as, as humanly possible. And I commend you for your good work. Karen Brinson Bell, the Executive Director of the North Carolina State Board of Elections. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear either the entire broadcast or selected portions. We'll be back again next week. So the next week, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.